This stuff is impossible, Will. You know? You can't... If you have hype to this degree... I mean, you and I were just talking before this. 2013! 2013. When they announced they're going to work on this game. Cyberpunk 2077. You don't even need to say it. That's the thing. Well, I, I have to. I no, I could just keep going because people know exactly what I'm talking about. That's how big this game is. Everybody is talking about this game, Cyberpunk 2077. And I don't know. People just have, are so invested in the performance of this game. They're so invested in uh, this thing meeting their expectations mm -hmm. that I just feel, and I felt this way before, that it was going to be impossible for it to live up. And so sure enough, here we are. What are we, day one? Day two? Yeah. We're day two. And I'm gonna just I'm gonna tell you right now, I have not played the game. I will not, I'm not spoiling, I will not spoil anything about the game. I have watched some of the gameplay. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also watched Linus's video trying to get it to run at max settings. Yep. And I became increasingly interested in what success or failure even looks like for this game. How it's he like you have so many different layers to it, Will, of, okay, the game as a game, mm -hmm. the game as a benchmark from a graphical perspective, the game as a justification for having spent what you spent on the GPU that you just bought or the next-gen console. It's, it's there's a lot. lot of layers to it. Yes. Anyway, so I hop on the internet, and like I said, I, I bounce around. I watch a few different people playing, and I watched... Some content around uh, ray tracing and the various settings and what kind of frame rates to expect on the RTX stuff. And uh, and sure enough, I've also bumped into Meme Town, which mm -hmm. Meme Town exists in, with the consoles. It's a physical town. It's a town that you visit. Yeah. And it's on the internet at any given time, and yep. it shifts around from different things. Cyberpunk Meme, meme Town is centered around... Uh, base PlayStation 4s and base Xbox Ones. And people are just furious. Yep. And that's a big installed base right there. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, I mean, I don't know how many millions of people fall into that category, but it's a lot. Yeah. And so I was talking to you before about how hard it must be. And I get it. It's their job. All right, fine. Developers and all this. But imagine you're trying to set the benchmark. You're trying to put out a game that's going to push the limits of the current available hardware on the PC side. That's your aim. And then, oh, yeah, it has to look great all the way down to the stadias of the world. Mm -hmm. Never mind the base PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. It's just... Look, maybe I'm giving too much leeway. It's just my position in life at this age. My position in life at this age is things are hard, and I appreciate those that are doing complex things. And maybe I appreciate them more than I appreciate my 60 or $70 mm -hmm. sometimes. But that's up to you. You get to do that. You get to do and treat it however you want. I just, uh, I'm appreciative of, of the amazing things that people make. Mm -hmm. And so I look at it and I say, that's a tough task. However, you can't ignore the current situation, the current state of things, and the types of experiences that people are having. You can't ignore it. It's a real thing that's happening as well. Mm -hmm. And as far as what's happening, 
people on those old PS4s, PS4 bases, and uh, Xboxes are showcasing some clips on Twitter that are just... Will doesn't even want to show them because he's so upset. Yeah, I don't even want to see them. I'm talking about... Well, you can just... You have to, Will. Go down to the tweet from Michael Does Life. Not that one. The next one. And what you're going to see on the PS4 version 1.0 hardware is the textures and graphics are actually loading so slowly that you can see them appearing in the world as you move through the world. Markings on the road, everything is super slow. Now, what? look, look, listen. Day one, day two, can they improve it? Do they need to tweak it? And Is there anything that can be done to improve the performance on this huge install base of those original consoles? I assume there's something that can be done, Will. Mm-hmm. To improve on this. And the patches will will are rolling out updates and everything else. But yeah, man, stuff is hard. Now, I will say on the opposite end of the spectrum, for those privileged individuals who managed to get their hands on some type of uh, 37, 3080, or even I mean, crazy enough, like a 3090 or something like this. I was watching, like I said, Linus's video and... Uh, some of that ray tracing stuff, if you can enable it and run it at a decent frame rate. You know, the other thing that this brought up for me is uh. like our interpretation of quality or graphic performance and how much of it is tied up in resolution, detail versus frame rate. Like uh-huh. you need to have that perfect mesh. You have to have both. And if you have one without the other, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Amazing resolution without a smooth experience doesn't matter. And a smooth experience with zero detail, that's trash too. Mm-hmm. So you have to have enough horsepower to support that experience from both ends. And uh, while you can't just max out everything, even on these brand new cards, which is kind of surprising if you want to get 60. Uh, FPS or higher or something like this, you can get to a pretty nice level of detail. You can get to a pretty nice level of candlelight and RTX experiences. Now, it's tough to talk about it because you realize that the spectrum of experiences that people are going to have with this game. Mm -hmm. You're going to sit here talking about how next-gen the experience feels with your, what is it, $2,000 graphics card. Uh Uh-huh. And then you got a person playing the same title on a PS1 fat with the like details rendering yeah at like 10 frames per second. And so that's it's it, it, I just can't imagine the pressure of being in that seat. I was saying to you once again how you don't get to take a load off. You don't get to kick your feet up cuz you hit publish on a game. Yeah. Shout out to the developers who continue to patch it up. You and I, we publish a video and <laughs> we put the feet up. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> we put the feet up. Yeah. For these guys now, it's tweets like this. It's all crap. It didn't look right over. It didn't do right over there. And look, I don't know. Maybe, like I said, some people think I'm too, I'm show, showcase too much sympathy for it. But I, uh, I'm, just grant, I'm just putting some leeway out there. And uh, I understand I'm not going to play it on this old hardware. And some people are going to be forced to. You see the terminology. Someone calling it absolute travesty over there. I get it, man. I get it. If I was stuck on one of these uh, old consoles, maybe 
I, my position would change. So I appreciate that position as well. However, I just encourage people to see all sides of the spectrum. The expectations on this game, unprecedented. Seven years in development. People trapped at home. The global situation. Let's just grant them a little bit of room. Let's just give them a little bit of time, a little bit of space. Fix this thing up. And uh, and if not, go get yourself a 30, 3090. <laughs> go get yourself a 3090. Play it on PC and uh, and call it a day because I, I promise you it does look good doing that uh, uh -huh. based on what I've seen to this point. And, of course, we're going to have more on that. We're going to be playing it uh, at the max settings very shortly on Unbox Therapy. So definitely uh, stick around for that. Now, speaking of consoles, because, yeah, those new consoles exist and people have very high expectations for them. Uh, one title, which is getting an upgrade, and, like, I mean, essentially one of these patches to improve the performance fairly shortly after launch is the Miles Morales game for PS5. So you can, you, you'll see here that it can happen post-release. So the, the game got updated with uh, 60 FPS ray tracing mode. Previously, and I showed this off in a recent video, you would have to select between one or the, one or the other. Yeah, you performance would, versus fidelity. Yeah, so it's yeah. essentially more detail versus a smoother experience. Yeah. And funny enough, I had been playing the game prior on the quality setting, uh -huh. uh, not, the, not the high frame rate setting, and I was like, this game looks good. Like, especially if you have the right display for it. You're like, you know, this looks pretty good. It looks like an improvement over the PS4 version. Uh, however, as soon as I switched on to performance mode, I was like, you know what? I want to play in that mode. And I, I get this might be different depending on the game and the amount of action in the game and things like this. But even at that reduction of detail, I was willing to accept it in exchange for the faster frame rate, which just felt you know, just buttery smooth. Yes. And again, this is a preference thing. Yep. But this is even better to get a little bit of both. So they found a way to create the optimization. Who knows which settings had to be tweaked in order to, to essentially change the performance of the game on the exact same hardware. So it's called Performance RT Mode. It is 60 frame per second gaming with ray tracing. The uh, update is 261 megabytes. And according to initial reports, it looks amazing with constant 60 FPS. The actual resolution is unknown at the moment. However, uh, yeah, like I said, initial reports look good. So this is good news for people on console because I know even people on PS5 are mad saying, hey, when it comes to Cyberpunk, I'm just getting the PS4 Pro version of the game or it's not different enough or mm -hmm. is it really utilizing the hardware, this brand new hardware? So... The upside here is that things can change and things can improve if we want to be optimistic about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's obviously the case here very quickly with the Miles Morales title. Apparently Apple's working on, or we have a new report. We've known that Apple has been interested in self-driving vehicles for a while. Uh, however, we have a new report that their intimacy level is increasing alongside their partner TSMC, TSMC the chip maker, responsible for all the latest stuff they've been doing. All those fancy, all that fancy Apple Silicon. Well, hmm. that's uh, making waves. Maybe not as much as the headphones. Sheesh. Hmm. But anyway, they're uh, apparently very interested in the automotive thing. They're increasing. Uh, uh, they're ramping up, maybe. They're talking about potential manufacturing facilities in the U.S. as well. 
possibly targeting companies like Tesla. Project Titan is the name of it. And mostly it's from a chip perspective, which makes sense considering TSMC's involvement and their success with Apple Silicon is, could you use this hardware prowess to improve something like self-driving? Yes. To improve some of these complex tasks that we may be asking vehicles to do in the future. So there's a bit of confusion around this particular report. First of all, 9to5Mac is questioning the legit legitimacy of Digitimes, but I don't know. That might just be publication beef. Mm. But uh, the confusion is around whether or not the eventual objective is Apple creating self-driving hardware that gets bolted on to pre-existing cars from manufacturers already in existence, or if they're actually making a standalone Apple car. Now, the consensus seems to be that it would be the bolt-on right. kind of uh, scenario. That would be easier to do. I mean, a whole car company is kind of crazy, especially up to Apple's standard. Mm -hmm. You've seen how hard it's been even for Tesla with all their success becoming tremendously valuable to actually pump out quality vehicles uh, that would be up to the standard of like, let's say an iPhone, mm -hmm. making self a self-driving module that goes into a pre-existing car seems more feasible in the short term. Yeah. However, Apple not usually one to sacrifice control in exchange for convenience. There, it's always about the ecosystem. It's about the badge and it's about, uh, well, this they create a silo of their stuff. Yes. And they don't necessarily play nice all the time with this other variety of brands. So maybe it's one. Of, maybe it's actually in between the two. I just thought of this right now. Maybe it's a collab with one individual automaker that they like. Yeah. Where they can say Apple X whoever. Didn't they uh, partner with Porsche with CarPlay? Well, I don't know that it's actually beyond. Oh, it is beyond. You're right. They did because the apps are native within the car's OS. Right, but you can still use Android. No, there's no Android no, Auto. There's no Auto. There's oh. no Android Auto in. But it's that's not. From what I understand, that is coming. I They're see. not trying to ignore it. But the more significant part is not the existence of Apple CarPlay, but Apple Car, Apple apps inside of the default OS on the car. Hmm. So podcasts, Apple Music, and things just right on the dash without any connection. You sign into your iTunes on the car, or right. they call it iTunes, whatever, your Apple ID. Uh, this is obviously a step further. You're talking about an intimate relationship from a collab yeah. perspective because they need to be involved in initial testing and uh, um, I mean, the software development for self-driving is bananas. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what actually takes place, but it's a, a, a cool it's a cool idea. It's a cool thing to imagine an Apple car or Apple self-driving module and maybe an Apple computer for your car. Mm -hmm or for whichever car company they collaborate with. Uh, Tesla is also believed to be working with TSMC on its forthcoming HW 4.0 self-driving chip, which could be ready for mass production in Q4 2021. So TSMC all over it, regardless. You want to mm -hmm. self-drive, I guess you got to talk to them, Will. Uh, when it comes to Apple's latest piece of hardware, that new AirPods Max, which has been, I mean, wow. What a divisive product, holy moly. It's yeah. uh, stirred up all kinds of emotions in the tech community. 
and I admit it's it's a bit strange. I have more to come on that. Obviously, I'm gonna uh, have video, maybe more than one video on the topic coming up very shortly when the product ships to me. It is not out to the public yet. Only a handful of, pe uh, of people have it right now. So if you are seeing videos of it, the only reason I don't have a video yet is because I'm waiting on the order like everybody else that purchased from the website. But I will have content on Unbox Therapy. I'll probably talk about it here more too once I have them. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, regardless of all that, the price tag and everything else, there's something interesting here. We, we, we definitely have to admit that Apple makes really nice hardware. I mean, that's the bottom line. At least there was the keyboard situation for a while with the laptops, but yeah. the fit and finish is typically not a thing you're complaining about when it comes to Apple. I mean, things tend to be pretty high quality. Mm -hmm. Now, that historically, the way they've gotten there is through Taiwan, through companies like Foxconn. Regardless of where the manufacturing took place, it would be headed up by a company uh, like Foxconn or like, name, name some of the other ones, Will. Pegatron? There's another one. Um. The one here that they're referencing is Inventec. Now, again, according to Digitimes, uh, Inventec had actually helped in the early development stages of these headphones. However, the contract ended up getting uh, granted to Luxshare, the Chinese company. And But there's an even another twist to it here. Luxshare has been increasingly interested or aggressive in uh, getting these contracts somehow they they continue to peel them away from the uh, typical builders of these goods and one of the ways in which they've been able to do that is by actually shifting manufacturing so chinese company but manufacturing in vietnam hmm. so it's a it's a look at all the moving pieces here and of course the incentive to move to vietnam diversification of production base uh, avoidance of certain tariffs and there's all kinds of advantages to doing so so what this means for you is you have essentially Luxshare building your super premium set of headphones based on a spec that was partially developed by a Taiwanese company in, in Ventec, but actually being built in neither of the countries in which those companies are based in Vietnam. Hmm. I just thought that was an interesting, especially with such a, uh, a luxury item as this headset. Right. So where, where the fit and finish and the quality control the shimmery components and things like this are really what you're evaluating to 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 a larger extent. So the full production of the AirPods Max will be in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's no distribution of manufacturing anywhere else. You think? Luxshare and Gore-Tec are producing AirPods Max at their plants in Vietnam, underscoring Apple's plan to accelerate the relocation of its related supply chains out of China without necessarily moving on from its Chinese partners. So Chinese partners, okay, but you best best not be building it in China. Hmm. They appear Off to, limits. Yeah, they appear to be asking their Chinese partners to invest in these other regions like Vietnam. It appears Vietnam increasingly competitive in this space. Yeah, they made iPhones. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, increasingly competitive in this space. All right. Oh, this is kind of cool. A uh, third-party MagSafe wallet, which does a lot more than the actual MagSafe wallet. And I, again, I can't speak to it because I haven't tried it yet. However, I know you've used products from this company, Moft. Oh, yeah, I you, still do on my uh, MacBook. Yeah, I use it on your MacBook. We've made a video about it in the past. It started with the MacBook, It start, or just laptops, really. 
you can basically uh, stick this thing to any laptop. I mean, it doesn't have to be a MacBook, Will, I don't think. No, they had it for iPhone, iPad. But, but what about a laptop from another manufacturer? I mean, it just sticks on oh, the yeah, bottom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like a sticky back. Yeah, it's just a sticky back, and it creates this kind of stand that folds up flat when it's not in use, but it puts your laptop in an angle that mm -hmm. makes it uh, you know, a little more comfortable for certain circumstances to view. Well... They saw the uh, the wallet from Apple, the leather wallet that uses the MagSafe connection magnet on the back, and they were like, oh, yeah, we should do our moffed viewing stand with the kickstand, but also make it a wallet and also make it magnetic so it sticks to the back as an alternative to Apple's wallet. And that's cool. kind of what they came up with here. So it's got a keyboard-style floating kickstand so you can view it on the table either in landscape or in portrait mode. So you want to like catch up on your videos or whatever. Now, I know in the past there's been a sticky version of this, right? Moft has done this for any phone with a reusable adhesive model. However, that's obviously less convenient than a magnet because granted, it's probably going to be more likely to stay stuck. So for those that are apprehensive about the magnet falling off like yourself, but for people like me that don't want to have it on there all the time, and again, we have to test the strength of the magnet on the Moft product and all the rest of it. And then you have to consider the fact that you don't have to use it as a wallet. You can just use it as a convenient stand. Or like a grip. Or apparently. as a grip. So it's a versatile product. Actually, the best thing to do is to head to their website. I actually put it in the, uh, I put it in the links. So if you go to the one, the next one over uh, from... Oh. This one, yeah, go to the next one over. There you go. Oh. Yeah, that's a, that gives you a better demo of how it's going to operate. There's a video there showcasing the many different uses and how it snaps on. It looks like a fairly a powerful wallet. It will work with, of course, the iPhone 12 series because it's utilizing the magnet. Now, it's also not made out of genuine leather. The way these things fold and bend, it's a fake leather. It's like a plastic leather. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind as well. It's five millimeters. And here you can see it in portrait mode landscape mode and then i guess what they call floating mode which kind of is like a it just lifts the screen up higher and then i don't know what the pocket is made of maybe neoprene but you can slip i think three or four cards in it as well and do the wallet so anyway a comprehensive option i also think it might be less money than the uh, genuine yeah, leather product from uh, apple what are they selling bucks? it for 22 but for the magnetic one because that, that looks like the adhesive one over there. Is it? Oh. Are they selling the magnetic one yet? Yeah, oh, twenty twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah. It's a brand new arrival. So it's less than Apple's wall as well. But just keep in mind, it's not genuine leather. Samsung has announced its new massive 110-inch 4K TV using micro LED technology. Now, micro LED previously has been the uh, modular thing where you can just make a display as big as you want by combining these micro LED panels. Uh, however, they didn't really sell a traditional form factor. Like, oh, we're just gonna do a 100 inch or a 90 inch micro LED display. They previously called it the wall, the thing where you can build just whatever you want, 100 feet long, something like that. However, micro LED technology, everyone's super interested in it because it's supposed to have the benefits of OLED without any drawbacks. And cheaper, apparently, uh, right? Yeah, so potentially well, cheaper. Eventually. Potentially cheaper to produce because there's no, it's not an organic technology like OLED. 
potentially more durable, although OLED has gotten better when it comes to burn-in and things like this, and uh, higher yield from a production perspective. That's the idea long-term because OLED, again, having an organic component makes it difficult to produce. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they've got this 110-inch display, which, I mean, you see it in the living room there. I mean, it looks, obviously, that's something you would want, Will. However, I'm sure the price tag is going to be just astronomical. Today, the company announced the 110-inch micro-LED TV. It's going on pre-sale today in Korea, and it'll launch globally in the first quarter of 2021. Uh, it's going to be 4K, not 8K, which is kind of interesting at that scale, because at 110 inches, depending how you how far you sit away, I mean, the type of living rooms they're putting this thing in, in the press images, it's you're so far away from it, 4K is fine anyways, because you're... Your room and your house is enormous when you have this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, they they claim it'll have a 99.99% screen to body ratio. 99.99. I mean, that's basically, there's just no bezel. So no bezels, yeah. There's no bezel as far as you're concerned. And then somehow they were still able to build an embedded decent audio experience according to them. I mean, of course, you would have to check that out, Will. Now... The benefit of micro LED, it uses micrometer sized LED lights, eliminates backlight and color filters utilized in conventional displays. It's self illuminating, producing light and color from each individual pixel structure. 100% of the DCI and Adobe RGB color gamut delivers wide color gamut images taken with high end DSLRs. The results are stunning, according to Samsung, obviously. Also, it includes HDMI 2.1 and supports all the things that happen with HDMI 2.1, like 120Hz 4K gaming. So, yes, you could plug your next-gen console into your 110-inch micro-LED display and uh, run it at 120 if your game supports it. I mean, the wall stuff is crazy, obviously. It's modular. Which it's modular. I mean, the wall stuff is bananas, cool. obviously. Uh, this is a more feasible version of that technology in a consumer kind of package even though it's 110 inches <laughs> the right is looking for the right consumer yeah. uh hyundai bought boston dynamics i don't know if you saw this news a billion dollars now boston dynamics kind of interesting was originally was at one point part of google and then google sold boston dynamics mm -hmm. i guess it was to softbank and uh, now SoftBank has sold it to Hyundai, who continues to invest in robotics. Of course, we have experience with Boston Dynamics on the channel. We did the video on spot. Dramatic, uh, philosophical video approaching uh, an intelligent, moving piece of technology like spot. I mean, spot is incredible. Spot was a, a heck of a product. And if I was somebody like Hyundai, I'd be... I'd be looking to acquire that as well. Whoever is responsible for creating something like that, I want to acquire that mm -hmm. if I'm trying to get into robotics myself. and well, Yeah, it could be part of their logistics in uh, the building cars, you know, like automation. I think, but I think they have uh, aspirations of going beyond the car as well. Right. Into into other devices. And, and I mean, in Korea, they make all kinds of stuff. Uh, I think they make medical equipment mm. and uh, like farm equipment. Like Hyundai and the the Samsungs and the LGs do that too. Yes, 
they make various products. They, there's only so many not... that get exported to places like North America, yeah. but I think they're going to be thinking about dist- uh, robots for distribution facilities, industrial robots. I mean, if you're a car company, you're pretty well poised to approach those markets as well. Mm-hmm. So think about that. Car companies are big purchasers of robots also for the assembly line. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily spot robots, but giant assembly robots. Yes. So that might give them some strategic advantage in developing new cars and new assembly lines as well in taking on Boston Dynamics. Anyway, they paid a boatload of money, 917 million US, just short of a billion. And it's supposed to be finalized December 10th. Is that right now? December 10th, the companies have been discussing a sale since at least early November, supposedly. So, yeah, we'll see what they're able to develop together, but it is kind of a curious one. Google moves on from the robot biz, and then Hyundai doubles down. They uh, they had vowed to invest up to $1.4 billion into the robotic robotics industry by 2025. So here's a big chunk of it right off the bat for 2020. Speaking of automation, efficiency... Starbucks is eyeing walk-through only stores with uh, obviously through utilizing technology and uh, not necessarily self-checkout, but the, you know, on the app you can order for pickup and then just, you just would walk through these Mm -hmm. new age Starbucks where your thing would already be ready to go and there'd be no standing around or waiting around. So Starbucks post pandemic has been investing in a lot of drive-through locations in the suburbs increasing the number of drive through locations, the lower, obviously, contact. But that doesn't do much for those urban locations where people are mostly on foot. And so they've been trying to figure out a way in which, well, to modernize their stores to to uh, deal with the current landscape mm-hmm. for those that are on foot. And that's what they're doing here with these walk-through stores. So here's the quote. What we're trying to do is build the equivalent of a drive through in a dense uh metropolitan area, which I like to think of as a walkthrough. In the United States, the stores are simply called Starbucks Pickup. In mainland China, which is the fastest growing market for Starbucks, they're going to be called Starbucks Now and could make up, and could make up, up to 10% of the stores uh, out of the total of 600 that it's planning to open there next year. Now, they're going to still have regular Starbucks and they're going to try to place these pickup or express Starbucks near full-fledged Starbucks. So if a person's still looking for that, I guess that that is nearby. But maybe it's a, you know, as a tester, they'll see what percentage of customers actually are willing to do the walkthrough experience. Mm -hmm. And if the numbers look good, then uh, maybe they're going to go that direction with more of their new stores. Yeah. It would be nice to have like a picture of what the concept might be because you said that it's going to be near a starbucks yeah but it's not attached to it no they said a five minute walking distance of a starbucks interesting that would help them out from a supply perspective to have uh you know from a delivery of of Mm -hmm. their inventory perspective to have efficiency in that standpoint and uh and to serve more customers yeah because anybody in a neighborhood lives within a proximity that allows for a five-minute walk. Mm -hmm. So a person could then figure out their new habit without feeling like they lost out on the pre-existing Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they're also launching new products to help with global growth, as you would do if you were Starbucks, including 
a new shaken iced espresso shaken with brown ice. sugar and oat milk. Oh, the brown sugar is getting everywhere. Brown sugar is huge right now. Yeah. It's a massive trend. So, oh, and they're also going to launch oat milk in all the U.S. stores this spring. Oh, right. I don't know. I didn't know that it wasn't in all the stores yet because I think Kirk's been on drinking the oat milk for. Yeah. He's There's oat milk and bubble tea now. People are loving the oat milk. Yeah, it's a thing. Brown sugar and oat milk are, I mean, they're taking over. Yeah. Honeybees are using poop to ward off murder hornets. You see, you don't, see, here's the thing, Will. And we think we know about the planet and the universe and our existence, and we think we know know some things. And then all of a sudden you read something and you're like, I don't know anything. And that's yeah. the truth of the matter. And it's a much better place to, to be in. I feel healthier, at least recognizing that uh, there's some big questions we still don't have answered. And the fact that bees are... Uh, they're poop slingers? Well, just you, that they, that they that. have an understanding that. that they're willing to test this methods for survival and c communication and coordination i mean that is that's enough for me to reevaluate and just say you know what i don't know what's going on here it's impressive i don't know what's going on here and that's fine it's fine i yeah. concentrate on what and where i can have an impact and then and then just leave a bunch of empty space available for the unknown because i got bees using poop now mm. you understand that's a thing and so anyway, they did this study. They checked out the bees. It was actually the University of Guelph. Shout out Guelph, just down the road. Yep. And if you were to drink a Sleeman from the beer store, it would likely have uh, come from Guelph. I don't know if you knew I that. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, now you do. The team of researchers found that honeybees in Vietnam collect... Vietnam, shout out, second time on the show. Collect animal poop and put it around the entrances of their nests in an effort to protect them from fatal murder hornet raids. Nasty murder hornets. Mm. Workers collected feces at our dung piles throughout the study. We also observed them foraging for feces in, in nearby chicken coop. The also noting that worker bees sometimes used soap scum and on one occasion, human pee. They're just attempting like, hey, maybe if we put this stuff at the entrance, those murder hornets can just back off. Maybe right. it'll, Maybe they won't like it too much. So... Uh, of course, they go ahead and they try to figure out if it has any effect, and it does. They do the study, and the murder hornets, they don't like the poop. They're, they're kind of like humans in a way. They're like, they're, they're, like, they're like, I'm going to stay away. Yeah. I'm not going to go kill. I'm not going to bring in the murder raid right now uh -huh. because, I don't know, they're doing something over there, and they're outmatching them, and they're outsmarting them. The bees are outsmarting the hornets, man. Mm. Good on them. Now, the, what they also found is it depends on the type of bee. North American honeybees did not have the same defenses if they put them in the same situation. Oh. Of course, they uh, evolved to deal with different circumstances, different predators in different situations. It would probably take them a very long time to figure out how to behave like the eastern honeybee who's busy putting a poop on the door. Mm -hmm. You understand? They need to strategize together. They need to meet up at the BU. Yeah, quick meetup, right? Yeah, the UN. Uh, here's the last one. It's a holiday spirit. It's a holiday season. If you can load the page there, Arkansas man builds a Christmas tree out of deer antler sheds and the internet loves it. Oh. And it ends up looking really cool. So you know how sometimes people will, they they want to get the, or they have the uh, artificial tree. It's much more convenient. Uh. You lift up the artificial Ooh. tree 
and uh, and just put it away at the end of the year mm-hmm. and pull it out the next year and you reuse it. Well, some people are like, I got to get the real one because there's an ambience to the real natural material. Well, this guy tried to do something in between. Mm. So he had been collecting the deer antler sheds, which, by the way, I know some people might not know this. It does not mean he killed the deer. They shed these antlers and you can collect right. them. But it would take a very long time to acquire that many nice sets of antlers. Uh-huh. So he's obviously been saving them up for a while, thinking of something nice to do with them. And so this year, apparently, his wife said she wanted a real tree, not an artificial one. And he said, I got a better idea. He went to the workshop and took all the antler sheds that he had acquired mm. over the years and and put them along a base and lit them and it looks amazing yeah it looks really cool it looks really cool it looks like a tree it's indicative of a tree because you know the way the antlers curve up kind of and and around almost like branches however it obviously looks more special than that too and you have the biggest antlers up on the top where you would normally have a star anyway it was just a creative idea uh, merging the natural with the artificial. I mean, I don't think there's actually anything artificial in there, but it is reusable. Uh-huh. And then he posts it, regular dude, he posts it on Facebook, but it takes off. It goes viral. And people say, oh, you know what? That's very uh, Pinteresty. They say that's very aesthetic. And then all of a sudden they're banging down this guy's door to try to make one for them. And he's like, I don't have no business with this. Yeah. You got to ask the deers over there. yeah you know how many how many how long it would take me to do another one of these yeah so maybe in the future though this thing pops off and then there's some artificial version that shows up on wayfair (laughs) 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 and all and all of a sudden people have these uh antler shed looking artificial trees instead of tree looking artificial trees 